You know, when you step back and look at all these things that are happening in the world today, all these big stories and big crises that have dominated the news over the last couple of years, one of the things that's interesting to notice is that sometimes you step back and you'll notice that there are a lot of things that at first glance may seem to be very much unrelated. But as we look deeper, really share a common root, are very closely related. Specifically, I think about all the stories that really are kind of defined by the root issue of injustice and prejudice and division and, and, and one group's hatred for another group. You know, so, for example, in the last couple of years, we've seen all kinds of reports about the increased political division within our country. And so people will talk about how, you know, that America that we've divided into red and to blue and, and, um, and, and it, the divide is becoming increasingly severe. So much so that there have been polls that have been out that talk about how there are, there are people that will say, I don't really even know a person who is of the different political party. Uh, in fact, I think probably the more concerning polls, some of them have come out where people have said, I don't want to know someone who has different political views than I do. And uh, this has spilled out even over our, into, into some families. And again, numerous things have been written about this, of saying, okay, well, if you're at holidays and if you have somebody who's a different political party, how do you, how do you deal with them? And, um, and some people, literally, families are torn apart because it seems like you get together and you have political debates or people have strong opinions for or against a political candidate. For some, you know, this cartoon is something that might not be funny because it's too close to home. You know, you have the, the husband saying, the bad news is we no longer talk to half of our friends and family due to politics. The good news is we'll save a ton of money from not buying Christmas gifts. And, um, you know, and that's unfortunately a little too close. Now, that's just even nationally. You go international and you have the war now in Ukraine and Russia, and somebody was even pointing out afterwards, you talk about the wall of hostility, and you think the old USFR and, and the wall, and you know, tear down this wall. They're literally walls that are built over politics. But it's not just politics. Uh, we could also then say, how about religion? We think about religion nationally. Literally, people are being attacked for their faith now, especially as Christians. There are people that are being attacked legally and sued and or being attacked on social media and, and basically just for expressing their views on moral issues of the day, views that are often more, little more than just an expression of what the Bible teaches on that issue. And people are literally losing their jobs for saying, this is what I believe. And, uh, but again, we can go beyond the nation and say the problem is far worse if we look internationally. So, for example, earlier this year, when American troops drew, withdrew from Afghanistan, suddenly the Taliban took over and reimposed its strict Islamic law. And included in that is a persecution of Christians. And, and even the, the slide, let me go and read this, because this explains what the problem is. All Afghan Christians are converts from Islam and are not able to live out their faith openly. Now, basically, according to strict Islamic law, if you were raised in Islam and you convert, you have a death sentence. So therefore, if they are exposed or caught, there's only one possible outcome, they will be killed. Now, that's the reality. There's that level of hostility that is happening that, uh, that we've heard a little bit about in the news, but it's happening way more than what we hear. And it's not just about Afghan. Afghanistan, pretty much anywhere in the world where Christians are a religious minority, there's serious persecution. Uh, Open Door USA does some research on this, and they said that Christians are currently suffering a high level of persecution. 340 million Christians are suffering a high level of persecution. It's one in eight Christians throughout the world. 
a recent article in Newsweek magazine, again, not a religious right-wing magazine by any means, said in, in, their, in, a, in our article, kind of a highlight of the article, Christian persecution is now turning into genocide and is worse now than any time in human, his, human history. There's a huge problem, religious persecution. But it's not just, you know, it's just not politics, it's not just religion. Let's go to the issue of race. Okay, in this past, past couple of years, we've seen incredible division and, and, uh, and this reality of the sense that we're divided by race. You know, we had the, the riots from 20, uh, 2020 and, and the looting and the destruction that was there. We had people talking about the problem of systemic racism that is in all these different aspects of our, of our country. This past year, a lot of emphasis has been put on some that, well, we need to teach critical race theory, and, and that needs to be the answer to that. And so it's being taught in places as diverse as grade schools and the military and into many businesses. But that, in turn, has led to all kinds of protests of people protesting against the teaching of critical race theory and saying that it really is just another form of racism. And so you have incredible division, not only on race, but even just talking about how we deal with that. And, and these are just the contemporary problems. These are just the things that are happening right now. You see, I could go back throughout history and look out through history, and all these things are reoccurring. And so, okay, political problems. We've had political problems in the past. We've had civil wars in our country and elsewhere. Far worse, we've had you know, racism, everything from you know, American slavery to the Holocaust, incredible examples of racism. We look at religious persecution and wars, and, and that is consistent. And as we think about that, I want to step back and ask, I think, a really important question. See, when we look at all of these various kinds of division and hatred between groups of people, not only now, but throughout history. The question is, are they all isolated problems? Or are they somehow related? You see, it's really easy to see them as isolated problems, and that's generally the way that our culture will view that. But is, is racism really just an isolated problem? Is it unique to our time and culture? And is it something that we should address on itself? Are political divisions kind of this isolated problem? Is it because there's a certain candidate that has caused that division? Is religious hatred and persecution an isolated problem to a unique time? Or if you look at this and you see these things reoccurring throughout history and you see all these things that are kind of different forms of division and hatred between groups, we have to ask, is it actually part of a bigger issue? Is it part of a, is a bigger issue that are ultimately rooted in a, in, a, in, a, in a foundational root and something that kind of unites them together? You see, this is a really important question because if we, if we see them as, as individual things, if we see that they're on their own, you know, what's going to happen is we're trying to solve the individual problem. And, and if, if reality, they're, they're ultimately... Uh, related, there's a common root behind them all, what happens is when we deal with the individual problems, we're only at best going to deal with symptoms. We're never going to really get down to the root issue because we're, we're really not dealing with what's at the core. So when we try to deal with prob real problems of racism or real problem of political division or religious hatred, we could have the best intentions. And oftentimes, we're reacting to the pressure and the, you know, the talk within our culture, and we're re reacting to the uh, solutions that's being recommended by the culture. But in reality, again, at best, we're dealing with symptoms um, that we might make this symptom go away, but it's going to pop up somewhere else. 
At worst, oftentimes, we're not even solving the problem. We're just creating a, a different problem. And so if we're just dealing with the symptoms, we shouldn't then be surprised that the core problem never goes away. Now, that's what I think happens. Why is it that these things are reoccurring throughout history? Is it because no one's ever been concerned, or is it because we're really not dealing with the core issue? Now, some of you might be saying, okay, what's this have to do with, you know, Ephesians chapter 2 and the passage we're talking about, and Jews and Gentiles and, and, um, and circumcision, all those uncomfortable topics. And now here's what I want you to see. In this passage, Paul is talking about the historical division and hatred that had existed between the Jewish people and the Gentiles really for, you know, 1,500 years up until that time. And what he's dealing with is the fact that now many people had come to Christ and were now part of the church. And they would come from these different groups, but now they're one in the church. They're united. And that's what he's addressing in that time. And there had been a deep historical hatred on both sides. Verse 14 says there was a dividing wall of hostility, another word for hatred. There was hatred between them. Now, here I could get into a history lesson and explain the theological and practical uh, you know, roots of this hatred and the imagery that Paul used when he talks about the dividing wall. And, but the more that I really prayed about this passage, the more that I reflected on it, studied it, the more that I've, I've come to believe God's purpose in this passage isn't to try to get us to understand the historical problems of the church 2,000 years ago. You see, the, what we're really seeing here is that this passage is trying to teach us about the enduring problem of prejudice and division, something that has plagued humanity over the, over the centuries, and over the centuries has taken countless different forms, but it's always there. Things like racism and religious hatred and political division. And what Paul's trying to do is to teach us that, but he's doing so by using an example. He's taking the, one of the issues in his time, the Jewish-Gentile division, and he's using a, an example to teach a universal truth. See, there, there's this reoccurring problem that we have division of all kinds up until this day. And when we look at the problem now, if we look at it in just the Jewish-Gentile, we're going to say, okay, in 2022 in America, we generally don't have that issue. We're not struggling with Jew and Gentile and the division in the same way. And, and it could be tempting that we could spend all our time going and looking at the historical background of that issue. And, but we're gonna, and it might be interesting, it might be enlightening in a sense, but it would actually miss something that's a foundational principle of understanding the Bible. Now, on Sunday nights, we've been doing a uh, class on how to study the Bible. So we have an emphasis on trying to encourage people to study the Bible more. And so we've been looking at this, and we've been saying, okay, how do we, how do we understand the Bible better? Now, we're not going to meet tonight because we have the baptism service. We're going to start pick it up again next week, so we'd love to have you join us. Uh, but early on, we went through basic rules of interpreting the Bible. And one of the basic rules of interpreting the Bible is that the Bible is, by its very nature, understandable, practical, and applicable. It's not, what this means is that the Bible isn't just giving us these theological truths that are good to know but irrelevant. It's not just teaching us when it teaches us about what happened in the early church or with Israel, history that, that's interesting to know that's irrelevant. It's not just a history book. It's God teaching spiritual truths through those things. And it's always understandable and practical and applicable to our lives. And so one of the sub-points to these rules is, is this. The main question to understand with every passage of the Bible when we study it is, so what? You know, the Bible is by nature, nature, again, very practical. So in other words, when I come to study the Bible, I've got to say, what's it mean to me? 
What, what is God trying to teach me? See, and if I don't understand what God is trying to teach me, what he's calling me to do or how he's calling me to think, how he's calling me to see things differently, how he's calling me to respond differently, if I don't see that, I may have an understanding of, of the theology, but I really don't understand what's being taught. You see, because it's not just, again, theoretical truths, it's always practical truth. It's always saying, okay, God wants me to understand how to live this out. Now, here's why I've talked about it here. If I take these ideas and I apply it to this passage that we're looking at today, it becomes clear that God doesn't just want us to understand the historical division between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's trying to teach us a universal truth that applies to us in our time and our lives. The universal truth about the division and hatred between groups, the core source of the problem and, and what is the cure. It's a universal thing that has plagued humanity throughout history, but again, if we understand this, what is the, what's the core? What's the root? What's the thing that unites them, the core source of this problem? Look at what Paul is talking about here. Let's look at what he says. Again, he's talking about, you know, the example is the, you know, division between Jew and Gentile, but it's this bigger problem, hatred between groups of all people, and let's look at verse 12. I'm going to put it up here. Look what he says. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. And then he's going to say, okay, and you were alienated from people and you were alienated from relationships, but where does it start? We were alienated from Christ. We were separated from Christ. And the idea is that it's our alienation from God that is at the source of the alienation of all other relationships. Now, are there other things that can contribute? Yeah, so even when we take these historical things, when we take a, you know, political division and, well, can there be a candidate that's divisive? Yeah, that contributes. And racial division, can there be things that in our culture that are, yes, these can contribute when we look at religious division. There are other things that can contribute to them, but they are all secondary and contributing things. They're never the main cause. And, and if we focus on these secondary things and treat them as the main cause, it's going to lead to, you know, confusion, and it's ultimately not going to fix the real issue. The principle is clear that, that all our human division and hatred are rooted in our alienation from God. That's the root issue. And when you look at why is this a reoccurring problem historically, why do we have so much of it? Because we all share this root. We all share this alienation from God. Now, what it implies is we're going to get to is then if the root problem is our alienation from God, then what's the fix? Well, it's not going to be a social program. It's not going to be, you know, just trying harder. It's not going to be, you know, just, you know, changing our mind. We've tried all those things culturally. It never works. What does it mean? Well, we need to be fixed in our relationship with God. Look at what it says in verse 16 or 13. Now, in Christ Jesus, because you were once far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ, we need to be brought near to Christ. We need to be brought back to Christ. And just in case you say, well, is that talking about us or God? Look at what it says in 16. It makes it clear. He reconciles us both to God, both groups, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What happens if we're reconciled to God? If all of us are reconciled to God, if we fix that, you see, that's going to be the only thing that can kill the hostility, that can kill the hatred, that can, that can not only treat the symptoms, but that can actually reverse the core problem. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, God has, the, you know, we've got to understand, again, the true nature of this. You know, let's look at not only what this is, this, you know, this, this problem that we have, this root cause, 
take it all the way back to the origin. And it is a systemic problem. It is systemic in humanity. And so let's look at this. And to see it, we've got to go all the way back to the very beginning. We're going all the way back to Genesis 3 because our relational problems all begin at the fall. Genesis 3 teaches that when we sinned, we were alienated from God. And because we were alienated from God, the result of that has been alienation from each other. Our relationships with each other are broken. So let's go back, if you go to Genesis 2, God created Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. They have a perfect marriage, a perfect relationship. Everything's great. Why? Because there's, there's, there's no sin. There's nothing to interfere with their intimacy. However, then sin comes into the picture. And then look what happens. Verse, verse uh, 6 of Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he, he ate. So here we have sin coming in. Next verse, look what happens. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And I said, I don't see, like, a big change there. So they found out they were naked. And, okay, let's think about this for a moment. It says that they knew they were naked. They tried to make clothes for themselves. They were the only two people in the world. All right, they were husband and wife. They had seen all their stuff. You know, they, it's like, okay, there wasn't anything that the other person hadn't seen. So suddenly, if they realize they're naked, why are they trying to make clothes? Who are they, who are they trying to cover themselves for? Well, you say, well, okay, well, just then, well, then God. Well, God made them. Do you think that God didn't see anything? You know, God created it. God designed that. The animals, are they really kind of trying to cover the... So why are they making clothes here? Why is there suddenly this need to cover up? What we have to realize here is the nakedness that it talks about here isn't just they realized they were physically naked and had physical shame. It wasn't physical exposure. What happened is that they realized they were exposed spiritually. The fact is, up until that time, everything about each other, they were open, they shared, there was total intimacy, and suddenly there was shame, and suddenly there was guilt, and suddenly there was a need to try to hide from the other person, and their clothes were just a really dumb, ineffective attempt to try to cover up their shame. And what we need to realize is that they did something that we have been doing ever since. We've been putting up barriers to try to cover our shame. You know, we try to add layers and build walls to hire our shame, to hire our sen- hide our sensitive parts, things that, that we don't want anybody to know about us. And, but in reality, what happens is we not only then cover to protect ourselves, but these walls also have the, the, the unintended consequences of keeping other people out. See, sin by its nature leads to shame, which means to building walls to hide. The fact is that if we're honest, we all have things that we, that we want to hide. I mean, does anybody really want all their thoughts put up on the screen? You know, no. I mean, we all have things that we want to hide. We have things in our past and things that we don't tell anybody and, and things that we struggle with. And there's all, all of us, that's the case. And so we put up these walls because we feel that there's vulnerability and we fear that if somebody knew us, they would reject us. And, and, um, and what happens, though, is in building up these walls, we not only protect ourselves, but we keep other people from really knowing us. And unfortunately, then, many of our relationships are conducted at a wall-to-wall level. I remember even an example of, of where this can be a problem that, that I had at a church, at my previous church. 
uh, we had this, this family that was getting involved. The husband was really involved in a men's ministry, really had built some good relationships. And one day, there was a, a crisis with one of their kids, and their, one of the kids were arrested. And uh, so he calls up, you know, his men's group, hey, pray for me. Boy, I'm going through this. I just need wisdom. I need support. And, and the men came along and supported him. And, and that was wonderful until his wife found out. And she became furious. You know, how could you tell people at church that her son was arrested? You know, what are they going to think about us now? You know, they, they, they can't know that we, basically, they can't know that we're not perfect. And within a month, that family had left the church and they had gone to another church because they wanted to go to a place where no one knew what was behind the wall, what was behind the mask. They wanted to go to a place where everybody thought they had the perfect family. And in a sense, they're protecting themselves. They're protecting themselves from shame and from, you know, from whatever, but they're also keeping themselves from intimacy and support. They lost a tremendous amount through that all. And unfortunately, that's not uncommon. I want to say there might be some that think that's what you should do at a church, that we've got to look good. We've got to look like we have it all together. That's not at all what we should do at the church. What we should do at the church is say, hey, we're all sinners here. We're all broken. We're all coming and bringing our mess, and we're coming and just saying, here I am. And what, what sets us apart isn't that we have it all together. What sets us apart is that we agree in our mess, and we're bringing it to God, and we're letting God change us. But we need to be a place of support. We need to play, be a place where we're real, where we're hurting. But you know what? We struggle with this. And we struggle with its individualism, and, and, and the American culture even makes it more so because we're such an individualistic culture. And then you have things like the, you know, the, uh, the, the pandemic where we were shut in all the more and we became more used to being isolated. And, and, and now increasingly with social media, people increasingly, their friendships and the relationships are online. You know, so that my, my friends are my Facebook friends, and, but I don't have real friends. I don't have people that I go deep with. I don't have... That's why we need small groups. That's why we need, this as a church, we need true community because we want meaningful relationships. We're fearful of them, but we need them desperately. But it's our nature to put up walls, walls that, that we want to protect us, but in reality also isolate us. But the fact is that they not only do that, but when we put up walls, it has an effect not only on our relationship with God, but our relationships with each other that are deeper. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. You know, um, you know, what happens, okay, they, they, they sin, they try to hide from each other, they make uh, clothes, God comes and he looks for Adam, and right away, what does Adam say? You know, God says, what happened? And Adam says, you know, it's, it's the woman, it's her fault. And, and what does he do? Immediately, he not only hides, but then he goes to blame and attack. Genesis 3, look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. Like, again, we can hide from God. Again, just that's what we try to do. It doesn't work. Uh, verse 9, but the Lord God called man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Again, like God doesn't see anything. He said, who told you that we're naked? Have, Have you eaten the tree which I command you do not to eat? The man said... The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Now, the first one he blames is God. You see that? Saying, what happened? I was good until you gave me her. You know, God, the woman you gave me, that's the problem. And so you messed up and gave me the woman and then she gave me the fruit. And God, it wasn't really me that did it. It was her fault. And she goes immediately to blame. She goes immediately to attack. Now, 
Let me, have you ever thought about the impact that these words would have on Eve? She's sitting there listening. Do you think she's sitting there saying, Adam, I know this is really stressful. You don't know what to do, but, you know, I understand you're stressed out. I want to know whatever happens, whatever you say, I really love you, Adam. I think she's listening to that and saying, say what? God, here, let me tell you about him. You know, he's the guy that you told not to eat from the tree. He didn't even tell me about that. You know, it's, it's all about, you know, let's talk about who's really at blame here. And suddenly they're at war. And then I wonder later that night when, you know, they, Adam tries to make up and, and, you know, Eve's looking at her and says, you know, Adam, if you're the last man on earth, I'm not sleeping with you again. And he's like, uh, Eve, I kind of am, you know, just, in, in, it, I'm not sure, it doesn't say in Genesis, but that first night out of the garden, I think was a pretty cold night. If they had sofas back then, Adam was on it. And um, the thing is, is that what you see, you see not only hiding, but then division. You go to Genesis 4, what you have, Cain and, a- Cain and Abel. And so Cain comes and brings a sacrifice. It's not acceptable. Abel's is. And suddenly Cain becomes jealous. He not only turns it and says, okay, what have I done wrong, God? How do I get right with you? He gets mad at his brother, and it leads ultimately to the hostility of, of murder. Why? Because broken relationships with people not only lead to hiding, but it leads to, to division. It leads to blame. It leads to violence. See, that's the problem. So then we say, okay, if that's the problem, then what is the cure? It's what Ephesians 2 is about. It's saying this is the core issue. It started way back then over the centuries. It has never stopped. It takes many different forms, but this is at the core of it all. And the cure, if that's the core, then what is the cure? See, if we, only if we understand the core nature can we understand the cure that ultimately will, will bring real healing. Everything else is only symptoms. And we've got to realize that, again, the core problem is sin, sin that alienated us from God, and not only alienated us from God, but then broke our relationships with other people, and this plays out, causing further and further division. It's a barrier that we put up walls, but it's a barrier that separates us from God and from each other. And the only hope is the destruction of that barrier. And what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? He took our sin upon himself, and along with our sin, he took the full measure of God's wrath upon our sin. And taking upon himself, then Jesus removes that sin when we trust him, when we put our faith in him. He takes that sin barrier that separates us from God, and he destroys it so that when we were before alienated from Christ, when before when we were separated, now we're united in Christ. That's what Ephesians 1 has been talking about. We're united in him. We're in Christ. Ephesians 1, if you remember, in, in, you know, what is it? Nine times, in Christ, in Christ, we're one. We're united in him. And he now makes it really clear. It's not just that we're united in him, but if you really understand the gospel, you realize that when God fixes our relationship with him, he then wants to start to fix our relationship with other people as well. When God removes and heals our, relation, our sin and heals our relationship with him, he wants to then say, now I want to bring that healing power, that gospel power to other relationships. Because what happens is when he makes peace with us, suddenly he destroys that, that barrier with us that, that separated us from God, but also the barriers that separate us from each other. Look, at, look if you have your Bibles, look at verse 14, Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace who has made both, um, us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of, of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What is he saying? That Jesus Christ is our peace. He is the, our peace that removes this dividing wall between us and God, giving us peace with God. And at the same time, when he does that, he also removes the wall that divides us from each other. And if we don't understand that, we haven't fully understand the, understood the gospel. That if we only see this relationship with each other, we, we haven't fully applied the gospel to, to, to all that's accomplished. He's destroyed the wall. See, the ultimate solution to our to our vertical problem with God is Christ, is the cross. It's healed in the cross. And our ultimate problem to the horizontal wall that separates us from each other is the same. And what we need to see is that if we understand this, the impact that our faith should have on, our, on, our, on, our, on all of our, our relationships. My friends, you might even be here and you're thinking, okay, well, I've come to, and I, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I, I want some help in my marriage. Or I want some help here. I'm really concerned about, you know, political division or racism. I'm, and, and what can we do? What are some ideas and some principles? And I want to tell you, the Bible does offer principles. And we're going to get into a later part of Ephesians, and we're going to see all these practical, practical principles about all these issues. And it helps. But if all you do is take the principles and you don't deal with the core issue, it's putting Band-Aids on wounds. And what God's saying is that there are principles that are important to realize and that they may help, but the core issue, the core wound, is this relationship with God, and we've got to start there. And I want to tell you, if you don't have that relationship with God, and you say, well, I want, some, I want God's help. Again, all you're going to do is treat symptoms. It starts with getting yourself right with God. We're gonna celebrate later today communion. And what is it? The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He said, okay, this is my body broken for you. It's offered to you. Now, if you take what I've done for you and say, God, I recognize it's not about my goodness, not about my effort. I don't deserve it, but I come and bring my need and I ask you to forgive me. I accept the gift of Jesus Christ. God heals that. He restores that relationship. He, he fixes that what nothing else could do. My friends, it starts there. The Bible isn't self-help. It's not principles to try to make your life work better. It's ultimately dealing with our core need, a broken relationship with God. Start there, and only then will everything else make sense. Now, for those who have trusted in Christ for forgiveness, and, and you understand, okay, Christ has then destroyed this barrier of sin that separated us from God. Do you understand that he's also destroyed the barrier that separates us from each other? And, and that means that if, especially as a follower of Christ, and I'm sitting there and I, there's no room for racism. There's no room for political division. There's no room for all these things. Why? Because the fact is, is it's destroyed the barrier. Those are things that were in the past. That's who I was apart from Christ. That's not who I am in Christ. And I've, we've got to be radically different people. The Bible talks about in, in, in John uh, 13, Jesus said we should know that we're followers by our love for one another. We should be so different. People walk in here and they say, man, they really love each other. And these people that seemingly have nothing in common should, and they're out in the world should even be at each other's throats. Man, they love each other in spite of their differences because we have something that unites us. What are we going to celebrate later today? We're going to celebrate communion. What is that? This is our common union. That's what it means. We are united in Christ. We hold this in common. And because this is so important, because we're right with God, it changes everything. 
you understand the power of this? Do you understand the power of grace? That we understand that we not only have been healed by in our relationship with God by grace, but then that should then transform all of our relationships? That's the power of grace. See, one of the things we realize because of our sin nature, division and prejudice, those are all natural things. We divide into different groups, and what do we do? We look at different groups, and we look down at it, and we say, my group is better than your group, my you know, political group, my racial group, whatever, my, you know, whatever. We look at that, and we, in one way or another, we say, well, I'm right, and they're wrong, or we do this right, and they do this wrong, and, and we look down. Look at what Paul says about it. Look at how he addresses this. We think of superiority. He, this is part of the power of why he uses this one illustration. Because he says in Ephesians 2, he talks about two groups of people, Jews and Greeks, and in this case, there was a sense of one was closer to God. One had more truth than the other. Look at verse, six, uh, verse 16. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, in this group, there was one group that felt that they were near, the Jews. They had the Old Testament. There was another group that would have been considered far off, the Gentiles. Why? They didn't have the law. They didn't have the Bible. They were immoral. Why? Because they didn't even understand the biblical teaching of morality. In a sense, they were further from God than the Jews. The Jews were near. They had those things. They had the law of God. They had prayer. They had the temple. But look again what it says. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. Do you see what he's saying here? This is vital. He's saying, okay, the Jews and the Gentiles, one was in a reality near, one was in reality far. We, we may think we're better. In this case, there was, but both were lost. Both needed preach, preach peace. Both of them needed to be reconciled to God. Both of them needed to be saving. They were both lost. They were lost in different ways, but they were both lost. But what's that saying? We may look at that and we say, you know, if we can say we're all lost, the idea is that in Christ, apart from Christ, we're all lost. And I may look at that and say, well, I think this group's better. I think I'm right here. I'm here. Even if that is the case, what, apart from Christ, we're all lost. And what that means is that means that how can I look down on anybody? How can I look at any group of people? I think I'm better than they are. I'm smarter than they are. I'm, you know, there's no room for that if you understand the gospel. There's no room for that in Christ. Why? Because we're, the, the, whether you're far away or I'm near, that doesn't matter. Hey, dead is dead, lost is lost. We all need a miracle of God. That's our common standing. Our only hope is that we are all before God. In Christ, that's our grace. And in Christ, we not only were far, far away and we've been drawn by near, but only in Christ do we stand together before our Father. And what do we then stand? We stand together in, as one. Stand together as one family before one father. And then what happens? There's no pecking order. Why? Because it's not like, okay, some, pe some people I will know that, well, you know, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, they're legalistic or this, this, or, you know, some people, I, I don't belong here because you don't know my background and, man, I was so lost beforehand. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter if you, you know, you, you come from a drug addiction or prostitution or if you come from a religious home that was raised in a church. It doesn't, we're all lost and we're all brought before Christ and we have equal standing. And there's none of us that stand any higher because of our background or any lower because of our background. We can't look down at anybody. We can't feel inferior to anybody. We're all equal before God because we're all equal recipients of God's grace. Man, this should totally change our community. 
It should cause us to, to have a unity and love each other in ways that a world doesn't understand. And one just last practical application. Sometimes we get that, but then we walk in and we say, well, I see that person over there. I don't talk to them because they offended me a couple weeks ago. I don't like something that they do. Now, now, do you see in that just the silliness of that? Hey, here's the power of the gospel. It takes something thousands of years of difference where people have hated each other, warred against each other, killed each other, and Christ destroyed that wall of hostility and he's united you in one. So he's done that, but now I'm not going to talk to that person because they offended me. You know, I'm not applying the gospel to this little thing. If God destroyed these walls, why do we allow any walls to grow up? Do we have differences? Yeah. Are we going to offend each other sometimes? Yeah. But we have a common union in Christ. He's destroyed those barriers so that we should be united in spite of the differences. That's the true power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And I hope and pray that we understand the power where we not only apply the, the fact of the gospel towards our lives, that he's, he's you know, he's, he's, uh, He's fixed the alienation in my relationship with God, that he's done this miracle, miraculous work of grace there. But I then take that and apply it and say, okay, if I have a person of grace, that I've received grace, that I become a person of grace towards other people who gives grace, that I see other people not based on who they are apart from Christ, but who they are in Christ, that we're all sinners that are saved by a miracle and we are both all lifted up before the Father of equal standing and value, that we should love each other in that common union and nothing should get in the way of that. Amen. That's how we should be this people where people walk in and they say, I know that they're God's people because of their love because they have something in this community that I don't see anywhere else. That's the miracle of God.